1: I hope everyone enjoyed the weekend. Uh, I met Dave Spinks at our or at, at the uh, Mothman Festival last year, and he he will be our guest tonight. Um, I kind of like you, you know, went around the corner by the Mothman statue, uh, Dave and. Jenny pulled up in their big truck and somehow uh, Jenny and I ended up unloading like all the merch stuff while Dave and you know kind of helped set up the tent and you know Dave was kind of meeting everyone so I really don't know how that happened but uh, uh, that was the like how we got together for tonight's uh show and is a really uh nice guy very informative he has uh several uh fascinating books you know like uh we'll be focusing mainly on you know like uh, west virginia dogman tonight but you know there's other books we're gonna get into his uh buddy ron lanham and ron's artwork that has been contributed to his books and uh just really so many nice people down down there at that festival and, and it's glad it, i'm glad we can keep the conversations going throughout the year um but you know i'm sure a lot of the viewers have seen uh, Dave on you know, History Channel, Discovery Channel, uh, Travel Channel shows uh, discussing paranormal events. Um, let's see. He has you know, several books on West Virginia cryptids and UFOs. Uh, he's a paranormal investigator, and he's also an amateur chef. We'll, we'll be reviewing that at some point later <laughs> tonight. Um uh, and um you know we'll also be uh discussing his, his upcoming conference he's uh been uh, you know uh, appearing at a couple of the spring conferences he got the Flatwoods Monster one coming up um so you know if you want to get a good dose of paranormal uh you know topics uh you know tonight's a perfect uh introduction to uh Dave's expertise in the topics and you know you can t- see him at m- many of these uh conferences throughout the state and uh you can find him on facebook at d s world of weird and his website is Dave Spinks paranormalinvestigator.com. Hi, Dave. How are you? Hey, how are you doing, Mark? Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm glad you're here. I've been looking forward to the show since uh, September. Um, you know, we'll, you know, let me just kind of jump into uh, your West Virginia Dog Man book. And, you know, we have we're gonna se- segue into all kinds of other uh cryptid type topics uh tonight. Um but you know, let's uh kind of look at the the uh, backgrounds that um let's see Here's it. Ken Gerhard wrote the foreword for your book, so you, know, you do get a real cryptid uh, r- researcher, you know, z- zoo volunteer, uh, you know, providing uh, a really interesting forward to to your book. So you know, you have lots of uh, significant names in the cryptid community uh, con- contributing to your book.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, uh, you know, we're you know, we're roundabout friends in all these circles, you know, we try to mm-hmm. help each other out and uh work together, you know, when we can and uh you know, it's all about finding answers. So there's a whole bunch of mm-hmm. people in the community that are real good people that uh are more than willing to help out people, you know, whether it's writing a forward or you know, if you capture a piece of evidence and you want other eyes to check it out who are in the know and you know who've been doing this stuff a long time and you want to have those people involved with uh you know some of your work so you know ken's a very well-known cryptid r- researcher uh-huh. and uh you know he was at the top of the list when i decided to write this book uh as to, as to writing a forward um now you know um you know my you know my reputation stands for itself people know that uh that I'm the real deal, I'm a boots-on-the-ground guy, and I'm out there doing it. So, you know, I don't usually have any problems when I want to reach out and say, hey, would you mind, I'm doing this book on this topic, You would you please write a forward for me? So, you know, so that's just kind of how it went, and, uh, you know, Ken's very well-respected in the field, and uh, I, I was honored to have him write the forward for the book.
0: And,
1: and as, you know, kind of... Uh, get into the early history of uh, these werewolves and dogmen. I, this story goes back, you know, really far in time. Uh, can, can you tell us? You know, just give us a little, you know, a little background on um, yeah. th- that
2: topic. I don't want to talk about the whole book because obviously I want people to to read the book, but um, you know I don't want to give them too much information. You know, first and foremost, there's not a lot of dogman history in West Virginia, okay? But we do have several creatures that have been reported for hundreds of years in the mountain state, um, and they that, that have various names. There's hellhound sightings, there's dogman sightings, there's werewolf type sightings, and there's the, the white thing, the white thing, and many more. So the black dogs as well. So, you know, um, no one had ever written a a dog man type book that was solely the whole topic on in West Virginia. So, um, you know, and I had, I had investigated several reported sightings over the years, um, in my investigations. And, um, I said, you know, there's, there's enough stuff here to do a small book on it. So I went ahead and did it and did the book and, uh, talked about some of my cases I got also with Jody Cook you know he had some a couple of cases that were reported to the to his dogman uh group and um uh I got with him and he he said yeah you you know sure you can use these cases and some of them I already had but there's a couple in there that I didn't have so you know we compiled a, a list of what we thought were legit sightings and put them in the book along with my investigations and some of the more infamous uh uh werewolf slash dogmen type uh, cases here in West Virginia. Um, so that's really how it all came about. And uh, you know, who who I mean, who's not fascinated by werewolves and dogmen type creatures? I, I think it's fascinating. The book does you know, these sightings have gone back, like you said, for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Uh there was document documented sightings of these type of creatures even before Christ. Um, you know, and if you look up some of the historical nomenclature on it, uh you know there was reported by many famous explorers over the years too uh in the in the uh ancient times uh, of of a dogman race you know of beings and uh they had people uh, had many encounters with these creatures and they said so they, they were said to live way back in these certain mountains and you know uh they would trade things for weapons from a certain king and and all kinds of really cool stuff and uh, one of the most fascinating stories I came across, if you're, you know, if you subscribe to the Christian faith and if you know who Saint Christopher is, um, he was reported to be a dog man, and he had sh- uh, God, the story. Kind of says in a roundabout way, he uh, God showed favor upon him, and he was turned into a man. And uh, you know, some of these beings were are reported to have to eat man men and and people, <laughs> so, you know, they were a pretty violent race of beings, so to speak, so, um, and, and the whole werewolf, you know, the hollywood five version is, is not this, uh, uh, really, what, what I'm talking about, you know, these, they're, you know, in the book, I also touch base on um, modern-day uh, wolf cults that do exist to this day, just like vampire cults, they're out there, and there are people out there that uh, truly believe that they are lichens and that they uh, are werewolves. And, uh, you know, there was a Nazis that, that had the Nazis had a, uh, a, sol- a dogman soldier unit, you know, and uh, much, much more. You know, I try to touch base just to give folks a little bit of history on some of this stuff and, and then go into the sightings and, and so on and so forth here in West Virginia and encounters people I've reported over the years. So
1: it's a pretty fascinating topic. Yeah, you know, it, it it is. Uh, we've done quite a few shows on uh, cryptids, uh, the possibility of dinosaurs living up until you know today. Uh, you know the Bigfoot creatures, the marine creatures it's um uh, uh becoming uh, more of an interest uh to me than uh, other topics that uh fascinated me um uh, you know, a while ago it it, it, it seems like they're or uh, depict the ancient artwork depicts Things that we don't understand and and I think that's what you know is really putting the hooks into me like uh, or you're talking about Saint Christopher uh, mm-hmm. you can look up um, you know when d a Roberts was a guest with us you know he was talking about that and uh, you know you can look up uh, St Christopher. Oh.
2: Yeah, there's and famous he, paintings and artwork of him as a yeah. dog man in a pre yeah. robe, uh, as well as another famous artwork with him, you know, uh, as the human form of him with, a do- with some dog men standing off to the left. So it's pretty fascinating. And here's the thing. When you talk about the ancient art, you know, it's out there, you know, and you got to pay mm-hmm. attention to the Native American lore because – That lore, you know, people only in those times, people only drew and painted what they saw, you know. They didn't really have a way to, uh, you know, obviously they couldn't take pictures or describe it the way we do, but they just drew it and painted it. So when when you're looking at these cultures that are tens of thousands of years old, and you find these uh, cave these cave artworks and these artworks on bol- big boulders and so on and so forth, on pottery even in some cases, uh-huh. right. um, you have to really pay attention to that because that was their way of recording their history and what they experienced and what they saw, um, whether it was in a vision or whether it happened to them in real life. So, you know, you have to pay attention to that stuff, and it's the same way, when you're talking about Bigfoot and me because these these ancient artworks you know there there's bigfoots and other creatures all over the all over the world, so you know you you really you know that's the way i really i, I like to deal with it in uh to say that hey there's something to this because ancient peoples drew these things on art you know in art various art forms on cave walls or on boulders they you know they uh-huh. they and chiseled them in there, and everything else, so uh you know it's fascinating stuff. you have to really pay attention to the native peoples
0: yeah
1: you know, I think when Max and Brian were guests um, he, you know, a year or so ago and we I uh, got into uh you know, the petroglyphs of what looks like a mermaid that was, uh, it was uh, carved into, uh, chiseled into uh, rock by uh, East Liverpool, Ohio. So, you have to wonder what kind of fish from uh, just say like fourteen hundred AD, look like that. Uh, what person who carved it uh, go on some like trade mission to Florida and saw a manatee and came back and was like, oh, hey, you know, I, I'm going to spend a you know devote a lot of time chiseling into a rock with another rock and. If you're going to invest that much time, it, you know you wanted to say something, but you know was it just uh, something from a dream? I, I, I don't know. But you know, mm. why is there almost like an exact replica of a manatee this far up the Ohio River?
2: Right. And you know, uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Mark. You know, they're they're discovering new species on the planet in the oceans on the on the land you know pretty much weekly um and it, it's been going on forever you know so you know it, there's stuff out there that we just don't understand you know there's stuff out there that's hiding in plain sight because most people don't go out at night they're in their houses they're on their nine to five job they're they're got their face buried in the cell phone um you know taking care of the kids whatever the case and you know a lot of these teachers are nocturnal um, and, you know, I'd venture to say that most people don't know too many people that run through the woods in the middle of the night. So, you know, um, that's usually when these th- these creatures are seen, you know, it's crossing the road or somebody mm-hmm. might be out, you know, going deer hunting early in the morning before daybreak and they run across one or coming out of the woods at night or some loggers are out in the woods way out in the middle of nowhere and they have them in the counter or sighting. So, You know um they're not something that happens regularly because of that also you know numbers wise whatever some of these creatures are there's probably not many of them you know they're 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 few in number but they're still out there so um when it comes to dog man you know dog man's a whole different animal than say bigfoot or mothman or whatever but these encounters have been reported for thousands of years with these creatures so what are we dealing with here you know are we dealing with some kind of demonic creature or are we dealing with a real flesh and blood type creature that, uh, you know, is running around out there? Who knows until it it goes with anything, you know, until we have a body to study. It's just Uh another story, you know, or encounter or inciting. So uh, it's still fascinating stuff. And when it comes to, you know, canids in general, you know, there's all kinds of stories about these black dogs, these hellhounds, and, and so many other ones. You know, and, uh, I truly feel, I, I know I saw what what West Virginians call the white thing one night when I was coming, when I was still in law enforcement, I was coming home from work. It was about three in the morning, and it was real foggy on a four-lane road. And the biggest white, solid white wolf walked right out. And, you know, I was only going like 20 because I couldn't see that. Yet. I could only see about 20 feet in front of me. I was going maybe 20, 25 miles an hour. And the shoe just most enormous wolf you can imagine just walks out right in front of my truck and i stopped in the middle of the road and we made eye the thing looked at me dead in the face had bright yellow eyes and uh we made eye contact for about 10 15 seconds and then it turned and just walked off the road and i'm like am i really seeing this right now you know what is going on and this thing's huge i mean it was massive and uh you know so I was like, hmm, must be the white thing everybody talks about for generations here in West Virginia. Because we're not known for wolves. You know, in the old days there mm-hmm. was wolves, tim- timber wolves here. And they have yep. made uh, a pretty significant comeback uh, and have been seen as far as the uh, east coast of the United States. So, But this was no timber wolf. This thing was way bigger. It was solid white in color. And uh, it was massive. So, you know, it was, it was one of those times when – you're in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the right time, whatever way you want to look at it. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, you know, the hair on my arm stood up on my neck and I was like, wow, that was trippy. That was trippy. So, um, but you know, when you have an encounter or a sighting like that, you're, you're just kind of, you second guess, okay, did I just really see that? You know, did this really happen? You know, cause you have, you were just, I was just stunned, you know? So it was pretty fascinating. And that was, and that was many years ago. That was probably like 2006 when uh or or somewhere around there i can't remember the exact year but uh but i did have i did see what i feel was what they call the white thing here in west virginia so another strange wolf type creature that's reported here
1: is is there a if you look at all the you you know the different types of uh like the wolf family you know, uh you know uh, what's that one big uh really big dog and it, it kind of looks like a polar bear um but you know if you look at like all, all like the wolf family and uh, other related animals is there anything close to what uh, we know versus what you saw.
2: I mean, you know, they talk about the dire wolves and these ginormous black wolves and stuff that are seen around and, the world and, and stuff. But it,
1: I mean, that's more prehistoric. It, it, right, the dire wolves.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Right. And that, you know, that the one I
2: saw was no near the size of those reports of those, but it was, I mean, it was bigger than any dog I've ever seen, you know, way bigger. And, uh, and it was a straight-up wolf. I mean, there was no doubt about it. You know, it had all the characteristics of a wolf, of a wolf, not a dog. Um, the eyes were totally different than a normal uh, domesticated dog, and uh, I made direct eye contact. You know, so um, it was massive. Uh, I'm trying, to th- I'm trying to, I'm trying to, trying to think of the name of those dogs that are really big. Um and they're white and they're shag- they're kind of shaggy but they're really big dogs. This thing was bigger than that easily. It, it, so, is
1: this some kind of like Irish dog?
2: Um, I don't. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But they're big. They're big, huge white dogs, and they have like a real fluffy coat. Mhm. It's not a. It's not like a sheep dog or nothing. It's bigger than those. But um, what I saw was at least is that a wolfhound? Yeah, it could be, I guess. I don't know. The Irish. Wolf Irish wolf. The Irish wolfhounds. it was bigger than one of those. So, I mean, it was just massive. So, you know, it was kinda cool to ha- you know, having researched and investigated these things actually getting to see something like that. <laughs> just on pure happenstance in the middle of the night one night coming home from work. So But you <laughs> yeah, know, what? it just fascinated me because, you know, I've researched these stories for many years and also uh-huh. investigated some reports of various type of uh, wolf type creatures you know dogman werewolves sightings in the air and there's some really good ones in the book you know there's one from a prosecuting attorney i can't say his name in what county he's in but he's a prosecuting attorney uh there's some from law enforcement officers there's other from you know people from all walks of life all types of jobs and backgrounds so and you know, and, and that's how I approach all my books, Mark. You know, I, I kind of write from a law enforcement standpoint. You know, this is right. this is where I was. This is what I was doing. This is what I got. Make up your own mind. You know, and um, or Joe Blow reported this to me, and I went out and investigated. This is you know what I found, or I didn't find anything, or whatever the case. So, and and then there's some historical reports. You know, there was a a big rash of these wolf attacks in um, Webster County in the 39 and 40 here in West Virginia. Um, so much so that, you know, people's livestock were being ripped apart and they couldn't figure out what was doing it. And there were some reports of a, a dog man-like creature running on two legs. Numerous eyewitnesses saw this thing, so they brought in all these hunters. The whole place was a madhouse for weeks with people trying to hunt this thing down. And nothing was ever uh, captured or killed or anything other than a coyote. So, you know, um, but coyotes couldn't have done some of the damage that was in some of the reports. So, um, you know, that's just another historical aspect of some of these sightings in West Virginia.
1: Okay. And you were just talking about, um, you know, the cattle... um, uh being killed in uh some instances. I you know, you, you, we can get into you know the UFO uh, connection with cattle if you want to somewhere uh uh you know, later tonight. But um you, know, you do get these reports of instances like that happening and farmers always have to deal uh, with that situation, but when you get to discussing the uh, snarly yow, that's not really considered one of these um, menacing kind of creatures. So are we dealing? No, snarly like...
2: yow is more of a wolf. It's a four, you know, walks on four legs, not two. So but like I said, you know, there there's not a lot of historical sightings of a werewolf slash dogman type creature in West Virginia, but there are enough to talk about it in a book, uh, and there are enough other weird dog, you know, wolf tales and sightings and different things. So I thought it would be cool to just do a book on those, you know, and that's what I did mm-hmm. with it, and because no one had ever put all that together before, you know, so. Uh, in in West Virginia, I mean, you know, so um, yeah, you know, it was a fun project to work on, something different and something nobody's done. And uh, Ron, you know, Ron Lanham did a killer cover for it for me. Uh uh-huh. Uh, and did some great artwork inside the book. And uh, Jamie Snow actually, uh, we uh, he let me use his Rugeroo art in the uh, in the book too. So. His his uh, that that rougarou he did uh, was uh, in the cookbook as well. <laughs> so because I love that you know I love his artwork and I love Ron's artwork. They, they're two phenomenal artists and uh, I use Ron a lot. You know because he's a uh, native West Virginian
1: as well and uh, I love his artwork. It, it, uh, Ron's very innovative. <laughs> it,
2: well, and... not too often you can like tell a guy. Hey, I want this on the cover. I want you to do this, this and this and then he does it to a T and it's it's easy to work with him. You know, he knows he knows what I want and how I like it and he makes it happen for me and uh you know, that's been few and far between uh, <laughs> over the years working with different artists and different people on the on on these book projects and stuff. So Okay so yeah, uh but it's a good book you know it's a good little book and people are really get a lot of positive feedback from it and um
1: i, I, you know, I, I, so. I really enjoyed it i appreciate and, it and uh, uh, since you um you were just talking about uh you know, some of the uh uh Native artwork that depicts something some kind of creature that um you know it r- really makes you wonder you know what did that artist see and want to devote the time to
2: right. uh, I mean like for me do- it was for natives it's a significant event if they were willing to take the time to draw it or carve it out of the rock or on the cave wall, you know, um, it was a significant event in their lives and they mm-hmm. felt compelled to put it on there and share it with the world or who, or their tribe or whoever would see it for generations to come, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are petroglyphs, uh, found, uh, through throughout this, uh, their mounds, um, have, uh, you know, um, you know, when Steve Ward has been a guest, you know, we've gotten into uh, John Keel uh, writing about the mounds. Uh, Dave, yeah. ha- ha- have, there are, are some mounds uh, left. You get, you know, the Grave Creek Mound, a few in uh, you know, Charleston.
0: Oh, yeah, and there, there, the, there, there been
1: were been a lot you know do, do you have any stories or uh learned some of the folklore of any of these creatures being associated with mounds
2: well you know all that's personal opinion but you know my point of view on the mounds you know and it's not just here in West Virginia West Virginia is a significant area for for the mound builder mound builders, um, but as, as you know, you know, some of the skeletons found in these mounds were massive, and some right. were reported 12 to 15 feet tall, some had double rows of teeth. Uh, you know, there is a genetic disorder where some humans have a double row of teeth, but it's very, very rare, and there is very, you know, very few documented cases of that, but it, it seems in these giant skeletons, a lot of them had double rows of teeth. Now, that's not really uh, too much of a human trait. Uh, and who's to say if these, these beings, uh, if they were not human? And, and a lot of times the skulls are much thicker than normal humans, and all kind, there's other, a lot of other factors too, but not without getting into that too much. But, you know, who's to say some of these beings didn't breed with humans and then passed on that genetic trait to humans to have some of the humans they bred with uh, to have double rows of teeth? Um, I, you know, and a lot of, you know, I believe that these skeletons are more than likely some sort of ET, you know, or as we talk about in the Bible, the Nephilim or offspring of the Nephilim. So, you know, because we all know in the older times, humans, Homo sapiens were much, much smaller than we are today, um... And uh, these skeletons were just way, way bigger than the normal size of humans back in those thousands of years ago. Um, so it was re- it's really bizarre. And another bizarre fact about that is it would seem o- almost immediately when one of these skeletons were discovered that government personnel would come in and swoop, swoop them off and take them away, never to be heard of again. And there's all kinds of rumors that some of them are in the Smithsonian Vault and others other rumors that say that literally thousands of these giant skeletons that have been found all over the world and in the United States more specifically have been thrown overboard into the Atlantic Ocean now, if that's the case, what are they hiding from us? you know so and and we know we all know that the government likes to cover up things and hide things for their own agendas, therefore, you know you got to kind of make come to your own conclusions that uh you know there was some of the stuff that we've read about and heard. And historical documents are is probably true, but certain powers that be do not want us knowing about those because it's all about money, power, and control of them. So you, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to all of this stuff. So you can go way down the rabbit hole with it.
1: Yeah, and since we were just listening to you discuss uh, secrecy um you know west virginia you, know, you can look at uh, mason county that uh, really isn't accessible by interstate it, it's you know a bit of a challenge to get to um by land it, it's you know really easy um, by kayak um but if we look at in the mountains on the other side of the uh, state, uh um the heavy, uh dense uh forests you know, there's not a huge population uh, uh there aren't a lot of roads um There's not a lot of industrialization. Um, Do do you feel like those kinds of isolated settings uh, to the credibility that maybe some of these, to say dire wolf, um, may have actually survived much I, n- I never went extinct, and you know uh, they're you know s- still walking around today, and you know just, we just don't know that. You know, you know, just yeah, Just say I there's mean, like six bre- breeding pairs left, and you may have just um, <coughs> um happened to drive by uh, one and ha- had the encounter.
2: I mean, let's face it, anything's possible, you know. We all heard growing up about the, these tales from the ancient seafarers about the Kraken, you know, Kraken. Oh, uh, well, that's, just, mm-hmm. you know, myth- that's mythology. It's, you know, it's just false tales. But guess what happened? Japanese fishermen caught a 65-foot giant squid in their necks, basically proving that the, <laughs> the Kraken exists, okay? Whether they call it a giant squid or a Kraken, it's still the same creature, you know, so... Um, anything's possible in my point of view, in my opinion. Um, you know, obviously if there was dire wolves running around, even if there was only a couple, I mean, surely there would be possibly an attack on a human at some point, you know, um,
0: uh, you
2: know, and, uh, I just don't see a creature of that magnitude going unreported. In, uh, you know, there are some reports out there, you know, was a famous piece of footage of a, I forget where it was, but, uh, Guy was out walking his little dog, and this black thing was over there in the woods. And the dog went running after him, And this thing stood up, and it was massive. And uh, they said it was. People thought it was a dire wolf. Now, whether it was a trick of photography or not, who knows? You know. Um, and that's another unfortunate thing with today's technology. Uh, people can do some pretty amazing things with uh, uh, CG and other things, but um camera trickery and whatnot but you know unless you're there and you experience it you know you never really know unless we have a dead specimen you know it always comes back to that so um that's unfortunately that's where we're left with as researchers and investigators where you know hoping somebody runs one over or something <laughs> you know happens and mm-hmm. find a, a specimen we can study and see firsthand so you know other than that, we have to rely on credible people, you know, that really have nothing to gain by saying, "Hey, I was out there doing this, and this is what happened to me, and this is what I saw," and then we take it from there and just, you know, try to find hair samples, gum, whatever the case, you know, or capture something on video or photograph or whatever. Audio even works in some cases. So, yeah.
1: It- and yeah, with um even uh, yeah, the mountains uh ranges, uh you do talk about um the geography uh may have some ley lines. Uh John Keel uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, through that question out there as well. Uh or yeah, that's a
2: great the, point. The ma- you know, we talk about the ley lines and we talk about these Native American uh sacred sites and they seem to all kind of coincide or interconnect with sightings of strange lights in the sky, strange creatures, <laughs> paranormal activity, the whole gambit, you know, and I think that's definitely, there's definitely something to that. I know what you're getting at, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's, I'm trying to keep my train of thought on what you are saying, and uh, really, that's what we look for, you know. Uh, we look for these hot spots, so to speak, where they have mm-hmm. the whole gambit, you know, going on. And, of course, West Virginia, uh, just to talk about my home state, is, is chock full of sacred Native American sites and, mm-hmm. We have a ton of sightings of various type of creatures, whether it's the Mothman, a Bigfoot, or Dogman on occasion, strange lights out the State, strange craft out the wazoo in the skies, you know, over in West Virginia. Um, basically, we have it all, you know, numerous locations that have a just a ton of paranormal activity of all sorts in you know. them. So, you know, that's one thing I love about West Virginia. And you touched on something that was really important, um, what we were talking about. It is a very, very rural state. Um, there's not many flat spots in West Virginia. Um, the whole state is nothing but mountains, literally. And there are sections of land that are literally millions of acres where there's nothing. And theres I know for a fact there's probably places out in the Monongahela National Forest where people have probably never even set foot. You know, unless it's an ancient man of some sort, because it's so remote, it's so uh, it's dangerous. You know, there's cliffs and everything that would be very hazardous to humans trying to traverse these cliffs and mountainous areas. Um, in, in some areas, so you know, very rural, prime location. There's plenty of caves for for any type of creature you know to survive in. There's plenty of food here with a huge deer population. Um, if the creature it would be an herbivore, like there's berries and all types of edible plants that something could survive off of, uh, even through the winter. So the winters here can be rough, but they're, you know, they're probably uh, mostly medium winters as far as snowfall. We know something. Every now and then we get a crazy snowfall of four or five feet or something like uh-huh. that. You know, standard snowfalls a foot to three foot here. Uh, on a good one, you know, on a decent amount of snow. So, you know... They get to nor'easter
1: from time to time.
2: Yeah, right. So, you know, uh, plenty of cave works here as well, you know,
1: plenty of shelter for any
2: type of uh, creature such as Bigfoot or other creatures that may need that type of shelter. So, um, prime habitat for something really big and, you know, that something that was that big to survive in, you know,
1: easily... Dave, since you uh, worked in law enforcement, um, what do you look for when you're interviewing uh, someone about you know, they call you, and and you might go to their house and meet with them. Right. You, you know what? What are you looking for? Uh, you know, you know, we've had uh, a profiler as a guest a couple times. Yeah. Uh, right. Our uh, listeners. So what's my profit, right? Yeah. So, so, so are they really agitated? You know, does that make them more credible?
2: No. I mean, some people, you know, of course, they're, uh, if they have a life-changing event, such as a sighting of a creature that's, you know, that's something that just blows their mind, or maybe a UFO, whatever the case, usually they're very animated when they talk. Um, but it can also be a whole opposite of that. It can be like, whole, like they're really just blown away and they're scared to death. They don't even want to talk about it but they feel compelled enough to reach out. So you can have the animated person who's, like, screaming, oh, my God, I saw this, this happened, whatever, or you have a person that's just really bewildered and just like, man, I, I saw something or something that this happened to me, and, it, it you know, it scares me to death. But they feel compelled enough to talk about it. You know, when I interview folks, um, I use techniques that I was taught in law enforcement. Basically, you ask people – you know the same questions over and over in different manners and try to catch them up in a lie. and usually uh if they're telling the truth they're not you know they'll give you the same response every time no matter how you ask the question and and uh what fashion you use your questioning techniques in so um uh, you know usually i interview them by phone first once or twice uh you know trying to see if they got any visual evidence such as a picture or audio and have them send it to me and then. I make a determination if I think they're telling me the truth, you know, uh, and uh, go out there and check it out if I feel compelled that it's a legit case and the person's a legit person. Unfortunately, you know, some people make up things because they think they're going to get on TV for it or whatever, and you kind of kind of try to lead those folks out. And usually you can spot them pretty easily, but sometimes you can't. You know, I've been fooled a few times myself over the years, so it just happens that way. Uh, you know you got to give people the benefit of the doubt because you know who are we to say you know that they're lying when you know we weren't there <laughs> so
1: yeah, you in, know in, in in one of the cases um you mentioned something about uh the person felt god was watching over them and, and yeah, you, know, you can read uh Jeff Walmsley's moth uh, one of his moth, um the Facts behind the legend um yeah. wh- where uh, uh Linda Scarberry um uh-huh. she wanted to uh go to uh the nearest uh, minister once i got back into uh town after the uh, you know, uh, chase <clears throat> with the mothman um you know we've had other uh guests uh di- discuss uh, uh you know prior to their uh ex- experience uh, you know about all they ever read was the newspaper mad magazine um but uh, yeah, yeah like all of a sudden you know, if they saw a UFO you know they're uh, reading all this like ancient sacred literature from you know around the world. You know it's like you know, that's a big difference, uh, and that came on suddenly. Is there some kind of like um, in your interviews? Are you finding people had a Uh, almost like a religious experience after seeing one of these, you know, uh, just say Bigfoot.
2: Yeah. So, you know, here's the thing. So prime example, you know, when I talk about my story, me and my grandfather, we had a Bigfoot experience here on the Golly when I was a kid. Um, So my grandfather was a preacher for 40 years after World War II. And, uh, to him, what we saw was a demon, and we didn't talk about it because if it doesn't talk about it in the Bible, then it's it's a you know. Or if it you know to him, it's a demon, and that's just that's it. No ifs, ands, or buts. And with many other people, um, it's the same. It's a spiritual experience, whether it's good or bad. Okay, because people draw their conclusions based of based off of what they know and what they've been taught. Right. So if they're a Christian person and they see a creature like Bigfoot and it's in a negative manner, you know, where it's maybe attacking them or throwing stuff at them, you know, they're automatically going to assume that that's an evil creature. They don't know where it came from because why? Fear. Fear is a powerful, powerful thing. And when you actually see something or have an experience of that magnitude, it's life-changing because here's a creature you may have, not heard about in the bible or something to that effect that uh is evil in nature right so you know it could go either way but it is a spiritual experience uh even if it's good or bad for some people other people who are more scientific minded say oh that's a you know i saw a bigfoot now i'm a believer that there's an undocumented species run, running around the planet other people might think it's an extraterrestrial you know uh because you know they're just scientific minds and they go a different route with it but you know that's what happens when we don't have a specimen to study that we know of for everyone to study uh, I'm a firm believer that the government knows what these things are and they're covered up for whatever reason but um you know it's just it's based off your cultural background your belief system and uh you know you can go either way for some folks. It could be evil, it could be good, it could be you know heavenly or spiritual. Then um, some Native tribes call Bigfoot's a big brother, you know, uh, the big brother of the forest or the protector of the forest. Uh, others say that these breadhead giants, which I liken to Bigfoot, were evil and they would sneak into their camps and kidnap people and eat them. They were cannibalistic. So there's so many ways you can go, and it just depends off. What the creature was doing, what your belief system, what your cultural background is, and so many, and the fear factor is a major factor in that, you know, because, you know, just, you know, if you just another example would be, you know, you're driving down the road and you see a 50 foot snake in the road, you know, that's terrifying (laughs) because you've heard a story or two about it, but now you've seen a live specimen and you're like, oh my God, these things are
1: real. I'm out of here, you know. So eight you know, eighteen it, eighteen inch garter snakes are like that too, but I digress. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> yeah, so you you know you get the gist of what I'm saying. So, you know, it could be a definitely be a spiritual experience for people, whether it's demonic spiritually or heavenly. <laughs> it just depends what each situation is different. You know, and what each person's belief system or cultural background is different as well.
1: Yeah, and, and you were just talking about. Uh, how f- the fear of you know, the snake, the Bigfoot you know, uh, possible cryptid uh, you just had to sh- in most instances there was just the brief glance at something that you- your mind really didn't process, but, but, you know, we have that, uh, you know, when Andrew Smith was a guest with us, he discovered or you know, discussed the, uh, you know, responses of, you know, the May family and you know, what they discovered, you know, what, once they you know, got in by the uh you know cops of trees uh, w- with the uh Braxy, or the Braxton County you know Flatwoods monster in Braxton right. County uh, um yeah, hopefully our audience remembers that if if you're you know a new listener uh go go back to that show that you know, that was an interesting one but uh you, you know you'll be speaking at the Flatwoods Monster um, a conference. Uh that, that's coming up real soon, I th- think. It's coming up in uh, September. It's coming up on the oh, anniversary oh, of the oh, sighting. Oh, okay, so we have a little bit more time uh to see uh um you know, before that one, but you, yeah, that uh the Mothman uh Festival gets a lot of attention, but you know the Flatwoods Monster case gets um, a lot of attention too. That, uh, yeah, that that was something really strange. And you know, they were talking about uh, was it like a ten or twelve foot tall uh, metallic something or other, yeah. yeah floating across the uh hillside uh you know mm-hmm. coming towards the may family uh, okay what yeah you know, you've uh well you basically what grew-, grew up there in in well. what what's some of your uh interpretations of what was going on in that enigmatic case
0: well um,
2: so I was born in Gassaway which is right down the road is literally like three or four miles from Flatwoods um, oh. in Sutton area just literally right down the road but I'm actually from the next county over but that was the closest hospital in days like 15 minutes away uh, when I was born, so they had to take me to that one because mom said I was coming out, and that was it. I had to, that's the closest hospital they could get me to in time, right? So, um, so yeah, I spent a lot of years listening to my family talk about the Flatwoods Monster because my mom's first cousins all went to school with those, went to the same school as the May boys and all that stuff, and it was, you know, it was. 1952 was a very significant year, not only in uh, West Virginia, but the whole East Coast and the whole country as a whole, for UFO sightings. There were so many, in fact, that our fighter jets were ordered to chase these things and shoot them down, right? And there was uh, several sightings of UFOs right over the White House. And, you know, by air, D.C. is literally just... I mean, I think it's like you can get there in 30, 40 minutes by air from here, you know.
1: Uh, Right.
2: And and that's a very short amount of, you know, short distance by air. So um, there was a wave of sightings going on that entire year, and uh, rumor has it that uh, there was multiple objects sighted that night. Uh, And, you know, who knows what happened, but – there's a lot of cover-up that went on during the Fight was Monster incident. They made worldwide news. There were some reports of men in black around the area uh, telling people not to talk about it. Of course, if you read uh, Fraschino's book, which is a very – he's got two books. He did a revised edition, but um, he spent 20 years documenting this case and doing a lot of leg work, and it's unfortunate that he's not out there talking about it. I don't know what his problem is or whatever, but, uh, um, you know, he he had uh, uh, started talking about it and doing some conferences and, and things, and uh, had Stanton Friedman involved in a conference here years ago, and it had a really good turnout, you know. And so it was, you know, there was like two or three thousand people there, and I don't know what happened, but me, Ron, and uh, me, me, Ron Lanham and Joe Purdue have been waiting patiently, you know. Andrew was trying to get this thing off the ground, but. He um, couldn't get much support from the local, from the Flatwoods community and stuff to make it happen. And then, you know, he works for the the CVBB there in Sutton, so you know they're not willing to put the funds out. So me, Ron, and Joe got together, and we're putting on. We're going to try to get the conference back to where it should be. You know, and it it it, it was a worldwide. It made worldwide news. Numerous people saw this fiery crap come down and made control turns, landed on the fisher farm. Uh, the group of kids were playing football at their school, ran up to their house, got their mom and their, their older cousin who happened to be in the national guard. They ran up on the fisher farm and had this whole horrifying encounter with this metallic type creature that was spewing noxious fumes and everything else and kind of made its way toward them. And they all ran down out of there off the hill and, Back to their house, called the sheriff, and um, you know, uh, two of the boys reported seeing a craft off in the in the uh, in the ravine off to the right, but none of the other folks saw it. So a couple of the kids saw a craft, and then they saw the rest of them all saw the monster, right? So, but this here's the tricky part about this. So during all this, what 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 was not known is that. Uh, A Special Forces National Guard unit was already on the move and on the ground in Flatwoods just not even hours after the thing came down, and the group was split into two teams. One was a cover-up unit to say they were looking for a down aircraft down on the Elk River. The other part of the group came in covertly on the backside of the Fisher, fisher farm on an old logging road. Um, and uh, it was then Captain Levitt who was in charge of that group, and he was ordered to collect collect any evidence and send it back to the Pentagon post-haste. So he did that. They found some sludgy stuff on the ground. They took samples, sent it off, and many, many years later when it was then Colonel Levitt, Uh, did an interview with Fraschino and talked about that he truly feels there was a cover-up because he tried to get back with them to find out anything, and they would not return his calls or anything. Uh, And then there was a, you know, they put out some cover story that it was some kind of grease off of something, but it was a lot of substance on, on the ground. And they also found indentations on the ground and sort of like skid marks, slide marks where something had definitely landed on the ground. Um, and this this whole scenario went on for a couple of weeks. There was another sighting of uh, the same type of creature, only this time it didn't have what looked like a helmet on with portals in the eyes over in Strange Creek, which was real close to Gassaway, where I was born.
0: Um, this mm-hmm. young
2: couple had a newborn baby. They were traveled from New York to Cincinnati, and they took the scenic route on the way home, and they came through the Strange Creek area. And the car just quit in the middle of the road for no reason. So he got out, was looking at the car and stuff, and they saw a glowing light. He saw a glowing light over down on the other side of the guardrail and kind of went over towards it. And the, um, there there's these noxious fumes. The baby was crying. They were choking. Their eyes were burning. And when he tried to check out what this glowing light was, he was, you know, talked about it in one interview, said there was a glowing orb down there. He made his way closer to it. As he got closer, he felt like his body was, uh, like when your arm goes to sleep, but he said it was his entire body, and he felt like all these pins and needles sensation. Uh, wow. And it was, like, shocking him, and he fell down and got back up, and he it took everything he had to make his way back to the car. As he's making his way back to the car, he sees his wife looking out the passenger side window, but looking behind him, let, you know, and she let out a horrifying scream, and he looked behind him, and there was this creature that, resembled a lizard looking like creature from the waist up, but it was in some kind of metal apparatus that was floating coming right behind him. So he, you know, made his way back to the car. They got it. He got in the car. They, the family huddled down in the front. See those old cars in the fifties, you know, they were huge. So the whole family right. got down under the dashboard and was cowering. And he, after a few minutes, he peeked up and looked out the windshield and there's this creature there looked the lizard like with a metal apparatus from its waist down and it had these long spindly arms and it was like well, almost like it was trying to figure out what the car was like touching around on the car and everything and all he had was an old knife in the <laughs> in the glove box and he had he had that in his hand and as he's watching this thing it just turned and glided away and then within a few minutes uh they heard a, a weird whirring sound and they saw this he described it as a streetlight globe of the old streetlights, but much bigger. It floated up about 2,000 feet, he said, and started going swing sway, it swaying back and forth in a pendulum motion, and then it just shot off into the sky with sparks flying behind it. So after a few minutes of that, after that happened, the car mysteriously just started right back up. The family was just disheveled. They rode down the ro- you know, ran down the road. Um, didn't know what to do with themselves, so they decided they were going to stay at the lodge there uh, that night. So you know, they got something to eat, went to the got the room, and then the next morning when they got up, they had to the fuel up to go back to New York. And uh, to to his surprise, he said that he looked at the hood of the car where that thing was touching, and all the paint was like melted off, and in the and in the, in the metal underneath was rusted already. So there was a huge spots. Wow. So, you know, that, and then there was a, a few, a week or so later, there was a whole other weird thing in Parkersburg uh, where this burnt-up body of something they found. Uh, they called it Brushy Bill and stuff like that, but uh, people were seeing a Flatwoods-like creature up there. So ser- numerous people over the years have speculated that, we may have shot one of their craft, you know, and damaged it. It landed, and there was a rescue mission to try to rescue their their comrades, so to speak, uh, and there, was, that's why there was numerous alien-type, you know, E.T. or monster sightings of this creature around the state for a couple of weeks after the initial night of uh, September 12, 1952, um, because this, the George Ediths and Natowski that I told you about was the very next night, and it was just a short distance from where the original sighting was so and then a week or so later they had the whole brushy bill thing so you know the many speculate that it was a rescue mission by these ets or whatever they were to get their their wrecked comrades and get them out of there because it was during this whole massive ufo wave over the whole east coast and uh the whole rest of the united states and uh you know a lot of people don't talk about it but Many of our pilots were killed chasing these objects, and uh, they labeled it as training accidents. And a lot of pilots have come out over the years and talked about it, you know. So there's definitely something going on, you know, something. And then there's a mass cover-up of it as well. And, you know, if you've ever heard the Mantell story, so Mantell was from West Virginia, too. He was a decorated World War II pilot. He knew what he was doing. He was flying a P-51 Mustang out of Kentucky, um, Him and his unit saw this massive object in the sky. They tried to chase it. The other two guys, uh, they had to back off because they weren't carrying oxygen that day. So um, he kept flying and trying to, you know, figure out what this thing was, and then um, he crashed and burned. Well, they don't really talk about it, but there was, you know, when you shoot in those airplanes, a lot of the shell casings end up in the cockpit because of the way the planes are set up, and his cockpit Uh was totally littered with empty shell casing, so he was shooting at whatever it was. And they tried to say, oh, it was Venus and this and that. It wasn't Venus. He was an experienced uh, World War II, decorated World War II pilot. He knew what he was doing, and he uh, obviously could tell the difference between some kind of unknown craft in the sky and the planet Venus. So, you know, there's another cover up there. So. Um, yeah. I talk about I talk about a lot of those cases in my real West Virginia UFO book as well, um, and I you know talk about the significance of West Virginia in modern mm-hmm. ufology because a lot of people don't even realize that SETI uh, was started right here in Green Bank, West Virginia, by Carl Sagan and Frank Drake, you know, at the mm-hmm. Green Bank Observatory where they're still looking for ETs right now as we speak, ET signals. Um, It was started right here in West Virginia, guess when? Just a few short years after the initial Flatwoods-Mosser incident, a government-funded project. The world's largest, largest movable uh, uh, telescope in the world is radio telescope is right here in West Virginia, and it was built and put in here right after, uh, you know, Green Bank was started right after the Flatwoods-Mosser incident. So there's no coincidence in that. And, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that in the 1960s, West Virginia was considered the UFO capital of the world. And, you know, I document some tons of uh, historical sightings and eyewitness sightings and accounts. Going back to the 1800s, some I dug out of church records because there was no way, there was no reporting agencies back in then, like newspapers and stuff in some of these little rural communities, and everything was reported in the church records. So I was able to dig out some pretty cool ones. Uh, these giants, these descriptions of people seeing these giant ships that stretch stretch from one mountain top to another that was miles long.
0: Um,
2: you know, this was before blimps and everything else were even invented. Very significant stuff happened here in West Virginia. You
1: yeah, um, know, I think you, you document quite a few of these fascinating cases. Uh, Right, your books, and if um, let's see, when you have your conference, that's coming up in what uh, about two and a half? Yeah, uh, Yeah. three weeks. So, okay, you're going to be there with your. Captivating uh, discussions. Uh, who who are some of your other uh, speakers? You know w- what can they expect so, for the day? So it's called West Virginia MonsterCon. The reason I put my I,
2: I have a store called Dave's Things a weird, as you touched on briefly for a minute. Um, I put the store here in Richwood, West Virginia, because for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to help the town, and two, it's right on the edge of the Monongahela National Forest and the For those of you out there uh, listening that don't know, the Monongahela is a vast, vast expanse of land, millions and millions of just wooded, you know, untouched land. I mean, there's places where there's not a house for 40, 50 miles. Um, And it stretches from southern, southeastern West West Virginia all the way up to almost to Maryland and uh, parts of PA. It's, like, right on the border. It's a massive expanse of land. Um, But um, I put it there because the bulk of the Bigfoot sightings and strange uh, things in the sky uh, occurrences and all kinds of weird, strange reports happen in the Monongahela. Uh, It's, you know, a lot of it's ancient Native American land as well. Like I said, it's very rural. Um, and, uh, over in that area too, the Green Bank Observatory is there, and that is what is called a radio silent zone. So for miles around the Green Bank, there, you can't, you don't have any cell phone service, there's no radio signals, no nothing because they can't have anything. Those things are so sensitive that they can't have any kind of interference. People can't even have microwaves and stuff around there that live around there because, um, it messes up the, uh, the radio telescopes and uh you know there's all kind of crazy ufo reports and and bigfoot sightings in the Monongahela, and 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 other strange creature sightings as well giant uh thunderbird type creatures and everything else <laughs> so you know um it's just one of those places that uh is a, an area you know of high strangeness as folks you know use that terminology and uh uh mm-hmm. totally weird stuff going on. So I put it right here on the edge of that so people can come in the store. And eventually, you know, uh I'm working with the National Park Service stuff. We're gonna be taking tours out there and I'll be taking people out on some Bigfoot hunts and, and sky watching uh events as well. So that you know, there's a much bigger plan going on but, <clears throat> you know, we've only been open a little over a year now. So, you know, it take baby steps until we get it all up and running and uh it's work, It's it's really cool, man, and it's a lot of fun, and it's basically my office away from home. I get people coming in daily telling me accounts, you know, I'm so glad you're here because I've been holding this story in for 20, 30 years. Now I feel like this is a safe space where I can tell it to someone, and it's great, you know, so.
1: Okay. It,
2: it, speaking
1: uh, about so –
2: going, you know, going to the conference again, um, okay. so we have – Stan Gordon coming. We have, uh, and <laughs> I'm sure everybody out there knows who Stan Gordon is. He's an OG mm-hmm. invest, uh, paranormal investigator, um, no, most Kecksburg. widely known for the Kecksburg incident. You know, uh, mm-hmm. he was just a young, young man when all that went down, and he was the pretty much one of the first investigators on the scene there. Um, uh, and then we have Dr. Raymond Keller, who's a very – He's a Ph.D. for 40 years at West Virginia University. He's written numerous books about Venus and UFOs and ETs. Um, he's a keynote speaker as well. We have Eric Altman, who's a, a well-known paranormal cryptid slash cryptid investigator, mostly cryptids, but he delves into the paranormal as well. Uh, he'll be a featured speaker um, we have Barry Gaunt and the Night Stalkers, who's a native West Virginia but he is uh living he lives in Kentucky now. He runs the Octagon Hall Museum. Uh and, you know and he's known as the Kentucky True Seeker. Uh was high high up in MUFON for many many years. Uh and just he's been investigating this stuff probably since the 70s. Early 70s. Um so he's very well known uh, we have, of course, myself, I'll be speaking, uh, and Serenity Jenny on all the metaphysical aspects of some of this stuff as well, and uh, Ron Lanham and Joe Purdue, native West Virginians, wild and weird West Virginia. Um, you know, gotta have those guys there. They're excellent speakers and very knowledgeable. Joe's a master naturalist and does a lot of Bigfoot uh, investigations. And Ron does it all like me. I mean, he's in there with Joe. They're partners, but Ron delves into a little more of everything like myself, uh, and as well as being an artist and. Uh, they they make some really cool stuff, man. Uh, I, I highly recommend visiting their table if you ever see them out at an event somewhere because they got some cool stuff, man. They make. And then, last but not least, we got a special guest coming. Wild Bill from Mountain Monsters will be there in the store, signing pictures and whatnot for folks.
1: Okay, and, and when are are the dates for the conference?
2: Uh, April twenty eighth and twenty ninth. I have it listed at the thirtieth too, 'cause the store we're gonna have the store open all weekend so people can come in and if they got if they miss something they can come in and see some of us and hang out and buy you know, if they wanna buy stuff or buy books, sign books they can. But the main event, uh the VIP night is Friday night. So if you get VIP tickets you get to come in and hang out with all the guest speakers one on one, ask questions. We'll talk to you for about two or three hours. We're going to feed you if you get a little bit of swag, like a T-shirt or something, and you get front-row uh, tickets all day Saturday to all the speaker spots. And uh, Saturday is all day speaking by all the guest speakers, and then they'll have their tables where you can buy, you know, their products such as books or whatever they have at their tables and talk to them some more. And we will have vendors uh, as well, various vendors from around the area, and, uh, you know, that some, some make paranormal stuff, cryptid stuff, some are just regular vendors, you know, and uh, they'll all be there at the American Legion with their tables uh, while the speakers are speaking, and then the speakers go back to the American Legion post right across from the store, and they'll have their table in there.
0: Okay, are are there going to be food trucks?
1: Well,
2: yeah, we don't need food trucks because we have several restaurants in town. Okay. The whole town gets behind this. They make, like, specialty, like, Bigfoot burgers. The uh, local Dairy Queen, uh, it's not Dairy Queen, but it's just like Dairy Queen. It used to be a Dairy Queen. But they make a Mothman avalanche that's awesome. And all the restaurants, you know, they even serve, like, uh, Braxy beer, Bigfoot, Sasquatch beer, and different types of beers at some of the places, and uh, and make specialty <laughs> foods just for the event.
1: So it's a lot of fun. Okay, sounds sounds great. And okay, so since so, since you're covering uh, this h- huge expanse <clears throat> ec- uh, expansive, uh, like the Central part of the state with the uh, forest.
0: Um well, I cover the whole
2: thing, Mark. But you know, the 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 Monongahela is essentially the whole east side, south east, south. Really, the whole east side of West Virginia. The entire, <laughs> from top to bottom, is the Monongahela National National Forest. So yeah. um, it's a huge part of the state, and that's you know probably covers like, man, it's probably like an eighth or more of the state, I mean the whole entire state, so it's huge, And uh, but I cover the whole state, you know, I, and I, I'm not just mm-hmm. known, you know, I go all over the country, this is just my mm-hmm. home state, oh, so yeah. of, course, of course, you know, the bulk of my investigations over the years I've been here in the mountain state, but Having said that, I've done many, many investigations in other states. You know, I've been doing this stuff yeah. for over thirty years now. Yeah, uh, that, and I don't just do cryptids; I do UFO, you know, UFO investigations as well as par- many, many paranormal, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of paranormal investigations. Yeah,
1: so, and, and yeah, yeah, that's where I was going, and yeah, you know, just not too far outside of you know, the. E- eastern part of the state you, you, know, you, you, you do uh bring up the antietam battlefield mm-hmm. uh yeah th- that's really not too that's far rarely. away you, you, yeah uh, you, you know you, you, there there's uh gettysburg is you know, mm-hmm. ju- just across the border so it, you, know, you do uh co- cover you know, touch on Antietam in your uh West Virginia Dogman book, but yeah, you know, if you've done a, a lot more investigations of civil war battlefield ghosts and uh, uh, yeah, a lot of people uh are seem really drawn to Gettysburg uh but I am a veteran
2: too so you know I was in the
1: military for over eight years and in the National Guard
2: for a year after that but um you know uh uh battlefields are notorious for having hauntings because you got to think about all that energy that was expended there and how many Lives were suddenly cut short by a bullet or a cannonball or whatever the case. And uh, you know, to me, that's the perfect recipe for paranormal activity on battlefields. So um, all those young men in the prime of their lives and their life was just snuffed out in an instant. So you know, and they, you know, for me, some of them probably don't even know they're dead, man. Their spirit's still running around thinking they're alive. So uh, prime prime location, but. You know, the whole plan is, you know, I started writing, I never thought I'd write a book, but through, you know, not really coercion, but people, you know, pushed me and said, dude, you got so many cases, you should put them in the book. So I, I tried a couple, and they seemed to be, you know, they went really well. And, um, you know, I have plans in the works for, uh, you know, I have a whole West Virginia Haunted series, uh, real hauntings of West Virginia Volume 1, 2, and 3. Number one's out. It's it's it sells out consistently, constantly. Number <laughs> excuse me, number two and three will be out real soon, uh, and uh, I have plans for a real haunting of Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, Tennessee, New Mexico, uh, Alabama, uh, Virginia. There's so many states that I've done numerous investigations. South Carolina, North Carolina. I mean, there's so many that I can do enough to do a two hundred page book on on all these different states that I've spent a significant amount of time in through my life and investigations and living there. You know, I've lived all over the place and I've lived overseas as well. But um you know, that's the plans with these books. And um, you know, it's it's a lot of work writing a book, but I have enough material where I can literally go write books on all this all those states and more that I just mentioned. So, um You know, that's the plan in the forthcoming years that I'll be putting out those books and uh, sharing my experiences and many other people's experiences. I've interviewed and investigated their experiences and sightings, and and I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's a lot of fun. It's fun, too, and it's humbling when you put out a a book and people give you great feedback on it. You know, it's like, wow, I never thought I'd write a book. Now I've got eight out, you know, so (laughs) –
1: it, it, okay and you know your willows weep um yeah documentary uh, has been very popular um uh, you know let's get into case study it was what uh, featured on william shatner's show uh, what's the story behind This property that was what uh, started in uh, or the starting you know to be occupied in what, what the 1890s and now you own it and it's in Indiana. So can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah,
2: so you know through the through the paranormal grapevine, as I call it, you know you hear about these locations other investigators that you are friends with and stuff say man you got to go to this place and check it out when we were there we got this or this happened or whatever so you know I had heard about this place called Willow's Weep and uh, in 2014 uh, I went there to investigate it for the first time and uh, first time it was you know we had some pretty crazy stuff happen nothing real crazy but you know, we had some battery drain. Got some really good EVPs, and the most significant thing that happened was while while standing in the middle of the house, which you got to remember, the house is in the shape of a cross. Um, this huge pound came from under the floor, and this cold burst of air shot up from my feet right through the top of my head, and wow. uh, like it literally lifted me up a little bit. That's how powerful it was. So. After the person I was with there, you know, uh, we had those experiences, and uh, I was like, wow, man, I need to come back here and spend some more time here. So I came back several more times after that and got some really crazy stuff and uh, more EVPs, uh, objects moving, you know, like couches and weird stuff, doors shutting on their own and uh, residual gunshot uh, recorded and all kinds of just really good stuff. Um, and then out of the blue one day in 2017, uh, you know, and having been there several times, I became friends with the the former owner and out of the blue in 2017, she called me up and said, Hey Dave, um, you know, me and Bob are, we're out of here. This, we really feel this house has tried to kill both of us a couple of times now. And, uh, we're moving, we're, we're, we're selling this stuff. No one lived in it since she bought it, you know? For her son to fix up when they started fixing it up crazy stuff was going down in it so they started having paranormal teams in trying to help them figure out and that's how i heard about it so long story short she asked me if i wanted to buy it she said there's only two people we trust with this house the other one couldn't do it and we want to know if you want to buy it and i said man i don't know this place is pretty hairy and it's real it's a real evil nasty place it's just dark energy there you know um numerous deaths in the house suicides overdoses, different things like that. Uh negative stuff's happened to a lot of investigators there. So I thought about it. I said, give me a day or two and I'll get back to you. So I decided, you know what, doing what I do, what better opportunity would it be to have my own location where I can control the environment and have a, a truly uh my own paranormal lab, basically, you know, and I'll uh-huh. keep I'll let other I'll keep letting other teams come in and document what they get and we'll compile it and see what we can get, you know. So uh, I actually bought it from her in 2017, 2019, you know, m- investigated it countless times. I don't even, I couldn't even count how many times I've been in the house investigating it, um, since that time, but 2017, I bought it, uh, 2019, um, they approached me and wanted me to, you know, wanted to do a segment of an episode on, uh, unexplained about evil places and, uh. I said, yeah, you know, you can come. And unfortunately, you know, they show just a little short segment of of me in the house. And uh, the best stuff we got during the filming episode, they didn't even show, man. Something flew across the room. The meters were going haywire. The sound person ran out of the room freaking out because they were hearing numerous voices on their huh. uh, high-tech audio equipment. They didn't even put none of that in the episode. That's unfortunate, but that's how TV works sometimes. So, yeah, you know, it got featured on there on I mean on History Channel's YouTube page when they showed the first clip of it like a little promo clip I mean it had like 70 million views and then they took it down for some reason then they put it back up and it had like 35 million views and it you know and it and it, and I, it was really cool to be a part of the first episode of that show with William Shatner you know and and the show you know I feel like I was a small part of the success of that show because I was on several episodes of that show talking about different things and um You know at first I was the only paranormal guy on that entire show for the first two seasons And then they started having other people come in and do some cryptic stuff and different stuff but um Yeah, it was cool experience and there's uh, even more bigger stuff coming with the weave I can't really talk about it right now, but uh, I'm super stoked about it. There's major stuff happening. That's going on right now with it Um, so you know as soon as I'm allowed to, then I'll be talking about it all over these podcasts and radio shows. So, um, you know, super exciting stuff. I'm working on book number two about the Weep, which is more about some of the investigations I'd done there at the house and had other people there. And we're, you know, share the, all the experiences and, and whatnot that uh, I had.
0: Um,
2: you know, and the thing with me, Mark, too, is a lot of people don't realize probably at 98% of the stuff I write about in books, I got video to back up. All this
0: stuff.
2: Uh Um, You can go on my YouTube channel, Real Supernatural. And then I had another channel for a while with David Weatherly called Society Supernatural. All this stuff's still up there. But you can go and watch some of the live invest and most of the stuff I was doing was live in those days. I was like the second person to ever do live paranormal investigations on YouTube. But I just got so busy with T V and writing books and stuff, you know, I just everybody and their brother started doing YouTube and I'm like, Well, been there done that. I don't wanna be doing what everybody else is doing, copying me and another guy who were the kind of the pioneers of that uh live YouTube stuff back in the day. And um uh, you know, so you know, it is what it is, but Lots of stuff on that channel. Hundreds of investigation videos on there. You know, it, it uh,
1: um, on your trailer that you have on on your uh, website mm-hmm. uh, the drone footage.
2: Oh, yeah, Willows Weeps also feature, you know, they they also put um, Unexplained on Netflix too, so you guys can watch that if you don't have the TV subscriptions or cable. You can go to uh, Unexplained on uh, Netflix and watch the
1: first four seasons are on there, I believe now. So uh, you have like a little uh, media empire going on. Well, you know, I'm here's the thing, man. Uh I've been doing this for a long time and
2: uh, you know, if I would have been smart back in the days before all this stuff was on TV and I would have submitted this to TV, I would have probably been <laughs> a multimillionaire
1: by now, but I didn't do that, you know. Um with the um aerial uh, photographs you have of of the house uh, uh, built in the shape of a cross or if you Mm -hmm. fly the drone around the other side, it'd be an upside-down cross. Yeah, uh, I mean,
2: I don't think it was... I don't really... That's other people talking about that. I mean, I don't really subscribe that it's an upside-down cross. It is facing east, so if you look yeah. at it from west to east it'd be an upside down cross but and if you look yeah, at the it, top of it you can see where they added on a back porch overhang many years later and then some weird little closet type rooms in the corners of the arms of the cross but when it was originally built it was totally like almost a perfect cross man so it, you know what it's unusual but there are other houses that were built in that fashion in those times um, you know, we did find out that it's uh found out from a thirty second degree Mason that it was built by Masons, uh by a Mason probably for a Mason. Um there are Masonic symbols all throughout the house on the door frames and everything else. Um and uh, you know, he said, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but this is what this means and this is this and this is this. So, you know, uh I was privy to get more information. Um on that but there's no rec like we tried to find records to see if it was some kind of masonic meeting hall or something to that effect but we couldn't find any records on that and the records in that county of that of that particular county in indiana are a total mess Um, i think there was a fire at one time and burned up some of the records and they're not in any order it's just a nightmare trying to research anything on that house and at one time the house was actually the the town wasn't even called Cayuga. It was a. It, they named it. I think it was Springfield, Indiana, and they changed the name for whatever reason to Cayuga. And it's two towns that butt up against each other. One's Eugene, and the other one's Cayuga. So it's really weird, you know. And then uh, again, guess what is in the general area right down the road from the house? Native American Barrel mounds. Go figure, right?
1: <laughs> okay. So yeah, the mounds. Uh probably have the intent of being a peaceful place of re- repose you have the, the house being built in the shape of a cross i mean most cathedrals are built like that as as well uh right. so yeah, I don't put much into the whole upside-down Frost
2: thing. That's other people talking about that. So you know, I never – I'm not the one that
1: started that. I was put out way before I ever owned uh, the house. Yeah, so, so, is there a reason why this – there's the suicides and overdoses and the house tried to kill the – yeah, it's almost like the house is alive trying to... Well, here's the thing, Mark. So when you have
2: a... Pl- okay, so there's more factors that we look for as investigators. There's two rivers that run into that town, and there's a huge aquifer right under that old town in the house itself. So we know water is what? It's a conduit for energy, right? Also, um, in that whole area during the French occupation of that part of the United States, there was all these French and Indian wars. And there was lots of people killed in that area, uh, French soldiers and, and Native Americans as well. Uh, most of the neighbors I've talked to have at one time or another dug up arrowheads in their yards and and, they, and pottery, you know, because the whole uh-huh. – it's right there on a river. So, of course, you know, Natives always camped by rivers because they needed water, and they, you know, grew their medicine Fish. gardens there. They fished, and they hunted there. So – because everything needs water, right? So the deer and, and animals would come in for water. They fill mm-hmm. they them and eat them and, and so on and so forth. So you had a lot of strife in that area. And then when you talk about the house itself uh, being built on, if that's sacred Native American land, uh, if you talk to any Natives, they will tell you. If houses or structures are built on top of their land, they always protect their land with what we call elementals or the spirits, you know, the native spirits protect those lands. So uh, if you subscribe to the paranormal in that type of situation, that's going to immediately anger those protective spirits and cause things to happen most likely, right? So we're just using, you know, opinionated thinking here. So... With that being said, we know that there are some – at one point in time, there was witchcraft practice in the house.
0: Uh, There
2: was – underneath the cross base of the house, in the center of what would be the center of the cross, there is a fire pit. uh, Just like you would see almost like at a campground, which is really bizarre because when I went under the house, I had to crawl, almost belly crawl, to fit under there. I'm a pretty big guy, but there's no room for it. A person to so you have to almost you have to low crawl on your elbows and knees to get under there. Um, there's a fire pit there, and there's ashes in it. So at one point in time, somebody was. Why would you ever have a fire under your house unless you're doing some type of uh, magic? And when Brenda, the former owner, bought the house for her son, they had someone had put a laminate floor over top of the original floor, and it was all hooved up from moisture when she bought it. So they started taking shovels and getting that new floor off of the old floor, and in the corner of one of the rooms, they found um, this pamphlet, and it was supposedly put out by the Church of God, but on the front of the pamphlet, there's an upside-down pentagram on fire, and it says, Is the spirit world real? And when you open this thing up, it talks about necromancy, how to conjure demons and everything else. So it's more like it's an occult or an a, a cult type of organization masquerading as a Christian organization. So at some and, and why would you hide it between the old floor and the new floor unless you were up to no good, right? So it makes perfect sense. Uh, um, huh. There was many families that rented the house over the years. The original owners both died in the house. Uh, one of the owners was eaten alive by his pigs. Uh, he was also a pedophile who was molesting one of his stepdaughters. Uh, I got all the court records on that and he was eaten alive by his own pigs. Uh, after that, he was charged for molesting his own stepdaughter. (laughs) Go figure. That's some major karma going on. So, you know, in my eyes, that's an evil deed when you do stuff like that. You know, that's nothing but pure evil. Uh, number, you know, uh, the last guy to ever live in there, he blew his head off in the house another the other owner uh, they found him dead of a stroke in the in the bathtub um and his wife also died in the house so there's all these tragic deaths so there was an overdose in the house as well and some people that paranormal investigated it over the years died after investigating the house um and there's so many things so when you have all that bad energy uh as well and then you got most likely uh negative type of magic or with black magic being practiced in the house or under it or both you people open doorways they let anything and everything come in there it's a perfect recipe for a negative type of haunting um Brenda was attacked so severely the time she had the first paranormal group in there that it actually bruised her liver and kidney something punched her in the the, the gut so hard and then she had a numerous scratches on her back one time that were bleeding like it bled through her shirt her husband was in great shape nothing wrong with the man he was very healthy he went over to work on the house one day kicked over with a heart attack uh for no reason whatsoever and he doesn't even believe in the paranormal by the way and um right before his heart attack he saw a man and a little girl holding hands and they walked right through the wall in the house and then at, right after that, he had a heart attack. Well, he got he made it through that and was okay. Um, and then he went, nobody had been in the house for months out during that, and then he went back over to the house to do something, and he had a stroke. So I'm a firm believer that spirits can uh, do things like that and cause people to have, especially demonic spirits, uh, More you know, more specifically, can influence people's health in different ways and stuff like that. Um, numerous people have been scratched in the house. There's been some insane shadow figures captured on camera in there. Uh, ghostly apparitions. One of them, the Foreman brothers, caught. I uh, have. Is a, there a picture of it in the book? Um, they something startled. their three brothers. Something scared them so bad they decided to run out of the house. Uh, the last brother felt like something was right behind him, so he just turned around and took a random snapshot. And then when he later looked at the picture, it's a spitting image of uh, the woman, uh, the mistress of the house that died in the house, and a high-neck dress, hair in a bun, and it looks exactly like her obituary. I mean, it's the spitting image of her obituary picture. And she's been captured in the house numerous times on different people's cameras and whatnot. Um, so there's just so much. And, and, you know, there was hundreds of groups in that, paranormal investigative groups in that house before I ever owned it. Um, so... You know, having that said, that you know, there's just it's like a perfect recipe for just a negative haunting, and uh, in so many different ways. And uh, and there's more to come in the second book. I'll I'll tell you about my now girlfriend, but she wasn't at the time. She kind of weird, just met, and I. She's a well, very well known psychic medium. Uh, I took her in there, and we had this whole crazy experience happen to us, and something followed us back, back here. And uh that's all that we'll talk about all that in the next book so um but yeah, just a lot of crazy things have happened, and you can okay. read about it in the in the very first book about it the beginning wills we the beginning
1: okay dave when and you're talking about an upcoming book, you also have another uh a book on uh uh the wells house yeah sure.
0: how
1: yeah how is willows weep and the Wells house similar or different you know uh, you know what can people learn by <clears throat> comparing and contrasting okay your, your two case studies
2: so uh I've got many more I'm, okay first off, I'm known for Spending significant amounts of times of time in some of these locations, like I immerse myself, because the only way, you know, the best way—I'm not gonna say the only way—but the best way to experience what some of these homeowners are going through is to stay a significant amount of time in the actual location that all these reports are coming through. So the 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 wealth house was a was a situation where. A friend of mine, Noreen Balovich, who runs the Paranormal Zone TV podcast uh, slash show on YouTube for many years, um, she came across this house that was a notorious haunted location in, in Wilkes-Barre, PA. And I'm sorry, some people in PA call it Wilkes-Barre, some say Wilkes-Barre. So whatever floats your boat, <laughs> you know. So, um, so it What happened was we put together this team of people that were seasoned investigators, and we decided uh, the house was up for sale. So we, uh, the other guy that was involved, I don't say names on here because, you know, certain people I just don't have relationships anymore for various reasons. So the guy that was involved, me and him, and, you know, we put this team together, and he ended up buying the house after this for a short amount of time. But uh, this house was very well known in the area. the local college had a paranormal uh, group there, uh, or a paranormal school of some sorts, in the 80s, 70s, and 80s, and they had investigated this place uh, numerous times, and so much so that it, the the case actually made it to the Warrens, the you know Ed and Lorraine Warren, and they right uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren went there and checked it out in the 80s. Lorraine didn't go in, but Ed went in. And there's a famous picture of her standing out front, rubbing her hand saying, "This place is there's something evil in that house." That's what she said uh-huh so uh, and then we started doing research on the house and discovered how numerous families had lived there. There was some suicides in the house, there was deaths in the house, all kind of weird stuff. Some families would move in and move out right away, some leaving all their belongings, so that's what you look for in a in a haunted location. Why are these people moving in and moving out right away? Oh, there's a suicide here. A young man blew his head off in the upstairs bedroom. Okay, there's there's a recipe here for for something bad, right? So we put this team together and went there. The first time we were there, we, we he talked the owner in who was selling a house to, for us to rent it for a month, and we stayed and investigated it 24-7 for an entire month. The things that we encountered were, to say the least, hair raising and disturbing. Um, many people were touched, uh, attacked in various ways, scratched, all kinds of crazy stuff happened. Um, one guy, a seasoned investigator I know, I'm not going to say his name because he had a really horrible situation there overcome him. He only lasted like a week and a half, and he cried like a, a grown man, cried like a baby. I've seen it, and he left, never came back. Um, uh, a girl there became pregnant. That was one of the rookie, was the rookie investigator from the other guy. Uh, she lost a baby. Other people, women had reported when they went up to look at the house that they had all kind of weird female stuff go on with them. One, lost, Another one lost a baby, too, just going up on the front porch. A priest came to... Uh clear the house and bless it, and he died of a heart attack on the front porch, so you have all these crazy things going on, right so we went there, did our thing, uh took a week off, I came back with the with the original guy, me and him. we stayed two more weeks, uh left for a week again, came back for two more weeks, we were there like four times um and he was from California, so like I was picking him up at the airport in Jersey, and then I spent the most time in the house out of anybody. So, after having that experience, and it affected my life very negatively, when I came back, I discovered I had an attachment, and my whole life went upside down. I write about I wrote about that in the book, um, and uh, it was my first book I ever wrote. And uh, uh, so, you know, needless to say, that one took me quite a while to write, but then there was some legalities involved, because the guy who bought the house sold it to a movie guy, because he was trying to take advantage of the Warren situation with it. So the book was done sitting on the set on the shelf for five years. <laughs> so it was very, you know, upsetting that the first book right. I ever wrote, I didn't even get to do anything with for five years. Long story short, you know, it's a similar type of location to Willow's Weep. It has all these tragic incidents, people dying, committing suicide. And all kinds of other things. Um, Basically, that book is almost like a daily journal of what I experienced and what I saw go down in that house. The Constantinos were involved. We did a live live remote with them from the house. They were getting EVPs in their house, talking about demonic entities and everything else um, while we were there. And they're all the way in Vegas. So we were doing some pretty, uh, you know, extraordinary stuff. Back in 2013, uh, with this stuff, you know. Um, so, ever, you know, I'm known for spending, uh, you know, uh, I can't even count the times that I've spent numerous nights in a in a haunted location, and sometimes very lengthy amounts of time. And I'm still doing that to this day with my with my girlfriend Serenity Jenny, who is a psychic medium, and one of the cases that we worked on recently is going to blow people's minds when all that comes out. So, you know, that's what I'm known for and that's what I do. Dave, um,
1: with the example of uh, a, a priest uh, coming to the <clears throat> uh, Wells house, uh, yeah. are you... Uh, hoping that what you do can uh end the this haunting put you know the, the make the demons go away or uh, the uh ghosts you know to go uh go to wherever they're supposed to be in the afterlife you, you know or uh do you believe in that kind of angle that uh people can uh a- end the s- spiritual uh,
2: yeah well I, I, for me, you know hauntings and that type of activity is all about energy um so you have good energy and you have bad energy right so bad energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, creates negative situations, people get scratched, whatever, they get attacked, some people die, some people get that little push uh, where they commit suicide. Um, I'm a firm believer, uh, not in all cases, but in some cases, that these demonic entities, negative entities, whatever name you want to call them by, uh, have the ability to persuade or give people that little push they need to in their lives because what's their ultimate job and it all depends what your faith background is and your cultural belief system, uh, but most in most cases people, you know, the major faiths all believe in this. Um, whether and it might differ slightly in some ways and other ways, but these things, their sole purpose, their sole mission is to what is to collect souls for the for the devil, right? If you subscribe uh-huh. to that. So if they can get someone to commit suicide or, you know, cause them to maybe kill someone else and then kill themselves, uh, that's their job, so to speak, right? So when you have um, a whole area or a particular house or a place of business where a lot, a lot of negative stuff is, it's my humble opinion that these things feed off of those tragedies and, they, and those types of events and it gives them more power and just like fear they feed off of fear they love it because it empowers them right so if they can cause one person to uh kill themselves and, and you know enter the energy of that particular event is very powerful and they grow stronger from it and i've seen it over and over again in many locations and uh, they, are, you know, for me being in law enforcement and stuff, there's not, there's no no such thing as that much coincidence in one house. Okay, something is going on in some of these houses. Some of these houses are very similar in nature, and you see the same patterns. So law enforcement investigating is the same way. You're looking for patterns or an MO of a person or a place. What's the MO? You know, what's the modus of the operandi? They, this house is. 2,000 miles from this house, but they have seven or eight things that are almost lined up exactly. You know, there's no coincidence in that, okay? So, you have to pay attention to those things. And as an investigator, there's a lot of times when uh, there's just no such thing as that much coincidence going on in a particular location. And and people need to realize, too, there's, there's kind of two types of paranormal investigations, right? There's the commercial ones, quotation marks on them, that, you know, the old prisons, the asylums, or whatever, you know, hospitals, Mm -hmm. the places that all these groups go to and they're trying to, they're just, all they're doing is documenting, trying to document paranormal evidence. That's fine and dandy. That's what I call weekend warriors. But there's a whole other side to this, and that that side is helping families, okay, helping people who are experiencing these horrible situations in their homes, negative-type hauntings poltergeist activity they're being scratched they're waking up with bruises you know maybe one of their children is having these crazy episodes just stuff that's so unreal and unnatural and unnormal going on they need help right so you know what I do is I you know and I've I've flipped and flopped back and forth over the years because uh, at some points it gets to be uh, a liability situation because People think you just, oh, well, you know, you're very you're a world-known person. You're going to come in here and you're going to be able to clear this out. It just doesn't work like that. It just does not work like that all, all the time. I can come in. I can say, okay, you told me this, this, and this is happening. I was able to document four out of the five things you told me. Okay, I believe you. There's something supernatural going on here. So I'm able to bring in certain people that can come in and clear the house for you and maybe even people in your family may need a, uh, a minor rite of exorcism the house might may, may need a minor rite of exorcism or or a full blown exorcism so you know over the years you've developed contacts in the church and different people who have the abilities to do that and that's what i do you know that's what i focus on now i've done countless commercial locations over my time and I document I don't need to document anymore I know you know I know this stuff's real I know there's spirits around us all the time and some are good and some are bad you know it's just the way it is uh, why they're still here doing this what they exactly are not sure I, I'll never claim to have all the answers you know why because nobody does um, but I've been able to help people and, and sometimes we can knock it down to a very minimum where the activity almost goes to nothing. But sometimes it comes back even harder. For what reason, we don't know. So we come back in, we do it again, and knock it back down. So some of these cases go can go on for years, and people don't understand that. Well, how come, you know, how come a priest or something can't come in and just obliterate it? Well, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, you just don't know. Every case is different. Uh, you're di- you're, sometimes you're dealing with different entities who are a lot stronger than other ones, but you do what you can do for them. You know, just how it works.
0: Mm,
1: okay. Well, it, it, you can present your, your findings to the appropriate people and get get them in in there to ha- help uh, end the haunting or. Per- Provide counseling for the families. And, you know, it, it just uh, yeah, I'm and glad you. You know, I, oh,
2: you know, I work with Jen too, and she does all that. She's a minister. She can clear houses. She can do exorcisms on people. She's done it, and it's worked. You know, many times over. So I've seen her work. She's the real deal. So you know, another. Yeah, I've worked with the church over the years too. So you know, it mm-hmm.
1: just
2: you just got to do what you can do, the best you can do it, and hope for the best in some of these cases.
1: Yeah. Well Well, it, it's uh do do, do, do do you see your work as kind of like a a, a faith based oh yeah or i mean i you it, know
2: i definitely believe in god and a
1: uh,
2: a higher spiritual calling and, and uh, i believe there's a higher power and it's for me it's all about intent It doesn't matter what religion you are as long as you come with a you know with a good heart and good intent and you're trying to help people then they're you know it doesn't matter what religion you are but if you're out there and you're trying to do spells and hurt people and stuff you're you're not a good
1: person so you know
2: that's just okay. my, my take on it so
1: okay it, it, you know we're uh, down about four to five minutes left um it, it, do you, do you want to plug uh your conference again and I- any other appearances
2: um i got uh, a ton of appearances this year um uh, best thing to do if you want to check me so i'm coming near your home area and you want to come and and see one of my presentations or do you know see me at a book signing just go to my website com. uh look at my event uh, schedule uh event, appearances and events you'll see where I'm gonna be at. I'm still adding more by the way. you know, there's more coming. Um just uh so just look where I'm gonna be at and yeah, I'd love to see you and meet you if you have a story you wanna share or whatever. And then also you can always come to the store, you know, in Richwood, West Virginia, Dave Spinks, World of Weird and Synergy Springs. We have eight thousand square feet of paranormal madness as I call it there. And uh, we do side. Th- we do smaller events too where we'll just have a a paranormal or a cryptid offer. Or UFO author come in and have a have a day with them, and uh, they sell their books, and you can hear, you can see their presentation. So go to our Facebook page, Dave Spinks Water Weird, if you want to see upcoming future events, and just go to the events page and see what we got going on. It's a lot of fun, um, and you know if you like the wild, if you like to be out in the rural wild woods, you know come to Richwood. We have some of the best trout fishing in the world here. We have uh, Rails to Trails. We got hiking galore. If you want to be out in the woods, this is a place to come. And we have a lot of cool stuff coming to the store in the future. And, you know, plus we got tons of merch. I got a nine and a half foot tall dog man in the store. I got a full size Sasquatch. I was, you know, special effects guys built for me. Uh, I got a Zoltar in there. All kinds of T-shirts, hats, buttons—you name it. Um, books, my friends' books, videos. I'm, I'm, you know, if you don't, if you want to look me up and what TV shows I'm on, go to my, I, go to IMDb. You can see all the TV shows and the document paranormal documentaries I've been in. With more coming, by the way, I'm filming. Me and Jen are both filming some TV coming up soon, um, and uh, oh, another show will be out uh, as well working with Christopher Garantino on uh, Off to the Witch, and then another show called Campfire Club, we're going to both be in as well. I'm a producer of that as well. So a lot of cool stuff coming. Uh, I can't wait to share the week stuff, but like I said, I'm under NDA on that right now, so as soon as I'm a, that's allowed to talk about, I'll talk about it, and when it hopefully it all goes down like it's supposed to, so we're just waiting to see, you know, and it's in the works is all I know, so I can't wait to share that, and and more, you
1: know, a lot of cool stuff coming. Okay. well, uh, you're <clears throat> you're always welcome to uh uh co- come back and uh share more about your your latest uh, projects. Ho- hopefully we'll get together a- again soon. I enjoyed hauling stuff. Oh yeah, to, I love to, talk to your about tent this stuff all night, man. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Barbara enjoyed it too. Um, you know, it's, um, you know. So, Dave, I want to thank you for uh, being a very insightful guest, and I, I enjoyed the West Virginia Dog Man, and, and you know, you know. We'll keep. uh uh, an invitation out for you if you uh, have time to come back I, I, I thought it was a uh, terrific discussion about all kinds of paranormal stuff and our audience loves hearing those types of topics
2: oh yeah yeah. if you ever want to do one night where we just talk about one thing the whole entire show I'd be more than happy like the week yep. or, or whatever the case but I got tons of cases we can talk about and everything else so just let me know We'll we'll do
1: that. So uh, thanks again, and Get Jen on there sometime. She's a fabulous uh, guest. Uh, okay, we, we will do uh, have Jen on too. My uh, partner in hauling your merch stuff around at the Mothman <laughs> Festival. Oh
2: yeah, I'm there every year, so uh, that's a, always a good place to catch me. Uh, you know, at the Mothman Festival. I'll be at Kecksburg again this year as well. I just, uh, Stan called me tonight, wants me up there. So I'm looking for that, looking forward to that. That's a great little festival. It's not low. It's actually huge, but it's a great mm-hmm. festival. And uh, yeah, you know,
1: just check my website, guys. I'm
2: I'm all over the country okay. this year. Yeah.
1: Great. Okay. Well, th- thanks again, Dave. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in, everyone. And we'll see you uh, sometime soon with uh, some f- more fascinating guests. Good night.